Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, welcome back to an athlete's journey. I'm your host, Travis Reed. Today I got a special guest, somebody up on the rise, y'all. Like I said, I, I've seen his page. He is doing the damn thing. I was like, yo, uh, this he, he is basically the first um track, you know, athlete I ever had on the show. So I'm I'm extremely honored and just appreciate him so much for coming on. We was talking before the show started, really good dude have uh, some some definitely agreements of what he has to say. So, like, y'all going to know his story, and we're going to get this going. Please introduce yourself to the people. Man, first and foremost, bro, it's a it's, it's a pleasure to be on, man. We were supposed to start at 4.30, man. We've been shopping <laughs> up for the past 20 minutes. Uh, and, you know, just grateful, bro. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I think and I think anytime you have an opportunity to speak with like-minded people, you can't take that for granted, right? Mm -hmm. There's always stuff you can gain and benefit from, but uh, name's Akeem Haynes, man, uh, two-time Olympian, uh, author, motivational speaker uh, is what I do now. And among all the things, man, I'm not really a title person, man. I'm just, I'm just someone who is trying to be obedient to God's will. And that's something that um, I try and practice every day, man. No, that's a, that's, that's, that is a truly blessing, man. That's a true blessing. And I always feel like people come into your life for seasons. Um, you know, some seasons are short, some seasons long as hell. You just want to have the right person in your in your life during this season. So um, I'm definitely glad that we linked up, brother. And, uh, you know, we're going to get it started. You know what I'm saying? How did your uh, sports journey start? Man, sports, man. Uh, so originally, man, I was born in Jamaica, right? Mm -hmm. So, um Moved to Jamaica, 19, moved from Jamaica, nineteen ninety eight, uh, essentially for a better life, better opportunities. Mm. You know where I came from in Jamaica, man. It was uh, it was pretty tough, man. It was a rough area. Uh, just to put into perspective, two thousand sixteen, the place where I grew up, man, there was like ninety nine deaths almost every month in that area. Oh wow! Right? It, was, it was it was it was rough. So early on, my dad knew. It's like, man, you know, Akeem can be a million and one things in a different country, but if he stays here, he's limited, right? So he just worked and worked and worked and like literally worked for every day, like 365 days. To this day, I'm just like, bro, like, how didn't you not get sick one time? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, next thing you know, my mom and I moved to Canada and um, this is where I grew up. And my first initial part was the sports, man, you know. It wasn't track and field. Like track and field was probably my fourth favorite sport because at the oh, end of the day, man, track and field is every other sports punishment. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? You miss a jump shot, whatever. You miss too many jump shots, you got to go run. You show up late for practice, you got to go run. It didn't seem like it was for me. Very you know? true. Very true. But I had a coach in high school, man. He said, uh, he said, Akeem, if you run track and field, it'll get you faster for football. Right. So I was like, man, that, that makes sense. So um, I started running track and field. He came. I reluctantly wanted to do it still. Right. But he came to my uh, house one day and he talked to my mom and my mom said, you know, I think you should try it. I was like, sure. And I didn't really start taking it seriously, man, until I started getting offers 
right, from schools in America. And I started to realize, wait a minute, that schools are going to pay me to run track for them down there and they're going to take care of my schooling. I said, man, I should probably take this a little bit more seriously, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it started for me, man. I was a dual sport athlete running football and track, had no intentions of running track. I just wanted to play football. But track and field is the foundation of almost every single sport, right? So uh, I went back to the foundation. It got me faster, but it got me a lot faster than I would have thought. And it started to open up more doors. So that's kind of how I got started in sport, man. Okay, okay. Now, I know for us, uh, like, uh, basketball players, we have something called like the AAU growing up, where it's like we're playing on all star teams, we get to travel around, yeah, uh, and do different things. Did you grow up like that yourself, uh, with the with the track? No, man, I started late, you know, or what people would or people what people would consider late. Now there are people there is AAU track, uh, but it starts at like it it starts from like seven all the way up, right? But again, it's different in Canada than it is in America. Right. There's clubs up here, uh, but you can't start running club track and field in Canada until you're like 10, 11 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. So they don't just take, you know, the smaller, younger guys. But for me, man, I started late. Like my first track meet that was actually on notice was at school, like high school. And so I started running with the club and I didn't run any of the AAU stuff that that mirrors it. But, you know, I made my first canadian team when i was 16 years old right so world youth so uh we didn't have any aau type stuff back here but we did have club track and field and i did run club track and field once 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 i figured this was going to be a pathway and an avenue to something else okay okay i was wondering about that because i was like i know they have clubs but i don't know how it works obviously growing up yeah running and track and things like that so you went to high school in Canada, right? Yeah, so I went to high school in Canada. I went, I went to high school called Crescent Heights High School. Uh, it's one of the oldest schools in the city here, but a lot of uh, historical people um, in the Canadian space. So I went to I went to college here, man, and or high school here. But I'm not gonna get it twisted, man. High school in America and high school in Canada are two different entities and two different things. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. I went to my city is called Calgary. Right. Unless you are geographically inclined, then you probably know where those places are. But when you're thinking about Canada, you're thinking about Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking about maybe Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But it's different out here. It's a lot harder to get recognized out here because nobody comes to Western Canada really, unless you're a tourist or unless you heard something about it. So a lot of the competition and the scouts and all that stuff, they go over to Toronto because it's a bigger market, right? So I went to high school here, but it was a lot harder to get recognized here. But at the same time, track is so universal. If you're fast, you're fast. If you can jump, you can jump. If you do what you're supposed to do, if you get results, man, you know, they often find you. Okay. Okay. What would you say your most memorable moment in high school was? Uh, most memorable, man. Um, it was, it was two things. It was one on the track and one off the track. Uh, the one on the track was, uh, was, uh, provincial. So provincials would be, uh, that would be kind of like your not, not state meet. What's the, what's the other one after state for you guys? It's, uh, nationals. Yes. 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 So that, so we call it provincial. So we go 
uh, divisionals, we go cities, which would be state, and then we go uh, provincials, uh, which would be nationals. So nationals this time, man, it it's raining, right? It's raining, <laughs> it's cold, it's June, but it snowed the day before. It snows in my city. It, it doesn't care about what day it is, what date it is. If it's coming, it's coming. But this day, it snowed the day before, and I'm running the 200 meters, man, and it's it's cold. It's raining. Everybody's wearing their rain jacket. And, you know, they're talking it up, right? They're talking, you know, Akeem is trying to break this record that hasn't been broken in the past 30 years. I knew I was going to break it because I broke it already, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're there, and I put my hands down on the track, Trap, and my hands is in puddles. Like the water is soaking up on this track and I'm freezing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm freezing. And I finished that race and I broke the record, but it was how I did it, right? I ran into a headwind. It was in the rain. It was cold, you know, but I did notice that even though it was cold, the stands were packed, right? Because, you know, they were all coming to see, could it be done? Could it be done from this guy here? So that was one that stuck to my man. That was a race stuck to mine. The other part was when I started to really get scholarship offers, right? And I remember, um, you know, I, I remember telling my mom, man, I said, I said, Ma, like, you know, this is a way out right here, right? I'm going to go finish school. I'm going to get this. I'm going to run fast. I'm going to get a contract. And when I get the contract, man, you know, some of that financial strain that we have, like, it's going to be good. We're going to be able to, to, to get to, to not just survive, but thrive, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was two big moments for me, man, because, you know, it showed that I didn't think that was possible. Not that, not that I didn't think that it could be done, but I didn't know anybody that got a full scholarship. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know what that looked like, but the fact that it was happening and it was around me, I was like, man, I wonder what else I could do. Okay. Okay. Now, obviously you breaking records. So obviously one of the top runners in your, you know, in your, in your, obviously you're in the national. So you're yeah. one of the top runners where you're at. Now you said you got re recruited by colleges in the States. Yeah. Um, was it a lot of schools? Was it a couple of schools? Um, and what made you choose the school that you eventually went to? <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, I was I was a dual sport athlete. So I was getting recruited by uh, schools in America to play football and run track. Okay. So football, football schools, you know, some of them was like Montana, uh, Texas Tech, Tennessee, um, and a couple others. But on the track side, man, I was getting dang and recruited by almost every other school. Right. Because, um, I mean, I was I was number two in the world in my event at that point. Right. So right. I, I had a lot more. My recruiting list was bigger in track than it was in football. Plus, in football, there's always the eye test. Right. They look at you and they're like, man, this guy doesn't match my prototypical <laughs> style that I would like. And, you know, they some of them don't go. But there are coaches who can see more. Um, so um, why? So originally, man, I was going to attend Florida State, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as you know, man, life doesn't always go according to how you plan. So I realized after I signed my letter of intent to go to Florida State that one of the maths that I took in the ninth grade, the NCAA didn't accept anymore, right? So I was automatically ruled ineligible, meaning if I wanted to go Division One, I, I couldn't. 
Oh so, man. Yeah, man. So it was, man, it was tough, man. It was a tough one to tough one to swallow. Um, but I decided to go to a junior college because I you also got to know yourself. I knew myself, man. I knew if I stay home for that semester, <laughs> there was a good chance that, you know, maybe I would have got into some trouble. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. I would have said, you know what, I'm just going to go next year. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I've always been a disciplined kid, but you know, sometimes idle time is not the best time. Of so course. I actually went to Barton community college before I went to the university of Alabama. Ah, uh, so you went to junior college before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what do you remember about your first year? Because I was like, I know JC is a little different. What do you remember about your first year going to the JC compared to high school in Canada? Man, I learned, man, that, you know, it was the struggles of my life growing up that that prepared me for these moments in my life. Yo, junior college, Trev, it, it is not for the faint. It is not for the uh, uh, the wishy-washy people. It is not for weak-minded people because junior college is a place that you go to and you can lose sight of the mission. And that's to go there, get your schooling, get your times right, and then get out. You don't go to junior <laughs> college to stay, right? I went to a, a junior college called Barton Community College, one of the most prestigious track and field school ever in the history there, right? Like there are people who go to Barton and they get so fast at Barton that they can go pro. Oh, right? wow. Oh yeah, man. Like this is, this is a school that had Tyson Gay, who was the American record holder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Tyson yeah. Gay went there. Veronica Campbell Brown went there, who was like a, a five-time Olympian, former world record holder, mm -hmm. uh, former record holder for Jamaica. Like the, 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 the list here is crazy. Like mm -hmm. the, 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 the hundred meter record at Barden is like nine, nine, three. I think I'm like 14th on that list. And I ran pretty fast. at Barden. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So the list, the list is steep. Like put it this way, Trav, like I went from being top three in the hundred, in the 200, uh, in my age group to being the fifth fastest person on my team when I got there. Wow. Right? wow. So plus I was coming off of the injury. So it, it took me a while to get acclimated to the junior college sense, mm -hmm. not to mention, man, you know, the culture is different, right? You, you're not getting certain vernacular and slang like that in Canada, as you would from a guy, you know, who is from South, you know, deep South Texas or, or uh, Atlanta is it's just different and the way they thought <laughs> I agree right so for me man junior college it was tough but it was much needed it was tough in the sense of there's nothing to do literally like the this Barton is in a city called Great Bend Kansas does that sound excited no right? <laughs> like yeah, the most the most the most exciting thing man was Walmart bro so if so if cats are going to Walmart Man, you're trying to squeeze up in wherever it is so you can go to Walmart too because it, that's just it just wasn't a place that was the most exciting. But if you worked it like how it worked you, you will come out not only a better athlete but a better person. You don't go to those schools to come back to where you went from. I had some cats who came to that school, didn't do their job, and was in jail the moment that they left. Oh, wow. wow. Because you've seen the... Uh, the Netflix, right? Last Chance You, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I, I watched a lot of them. Yeah. The uh, 
the first one, the foot, no, the, the, the third one, the football one, where it talks about independence, Kansas, right? Is very, that the one? With, yeah, 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 yeah. With Coach Brown, very, very similar to how it actually is, especially in the track and field space. Football gets a lot more love, but mm -hmm. it's a less, lot less love, a lot more grind on the track and field side, man. So junior college, man, I enjoyed my time there, but I knew I was mentally different than the other people that were there. Yeah, okay. I guess that, that answers my second question, which would have been, what was the hardest thing from college, from high school? But you just kind of answered it where, you know, people are much faster. They're talking-ish, they talking you know what I'm saying? It's uh, faster. They're bigger. Yeah. Uh, they're stronger. And there's no age limit in junior college. So you can be, man, I was racing up against Cass, who was like 26 years old. I was 18 years old. Right? <laughs> and so it's it's different because you realize, man, you may be good here, but it's like, man, you know, everybody is good at home to a certain extent. But then you're, you go to a school in junior college or division one and you realize, wait, they were the best in their city too. <laughs> you you wasn't no different from these cats. Very right? true. So now, what more can you do to help you rise above? No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that um, you know, I think that uh, like you know, when you when it comes to basketball, anyway, I went to UCLA out of high school, and so UCLA, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, my dream school, but like it's obviously one of the top schools in the country. So yeah. I was you know, top, let's say, say top 30, top 40 players in the country coming in, you know, yeah. how they touted McDonald's All-American alternate, whatever, whatever. Now we came in with the number one recruiting class in the country because they had Baron <laughs> Davis, Earl Watson, you know, a bunch of, bunch of NBA guys. Um, So like when I got to campus, I was like, I was going against this dude named Jared Henderson, who was a senior. Yeah. And he ended up playing in the NBA for, you know, like three, four years, played overseas in Japan for like, 20 years still in Japan now. Um, and like I was like, this dude is the best forward in the country. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like thinking I'm the man, freshman, big name, whatever. I get in, man, I get into practice. He comes and just <laughs> uh, elbows dunk. Boom. First practice. I'm like, oh, and the coach is like, get up, freshman. Yeah. This is this is every day. You're gonna do this, he's gonna go get you every day. And so, like, for the first month, he destroyed me every day. I'm, like, losing confidence in myself. Like, damn, can I even it's, play in college? Boy, you know it's it's <laughs> eye-opening, man, because yeah. you realize, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, too, Trev. Uh, there are people who are, like, talented. There are people who are freakishly talented. And there are people who are just extremely gifted. And that happens a lot more times than you think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree, man. Like I said, that my freshman year, we played against like, I don't know, 15, 20 NBA guys played against Vince Carter, Antoine Jameson, Mike Bibby. Uh, I mean, just so many dudes. I can't even, you know, count yeah. how many NBA dudes we played against, you know? So our first game was against North Carolina against Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. I remember they beat us by like 30. <laughs> I saw Vince Carter running on a break. I was about to jump and I was like, oh no, that's Vince Carter. Never mind. Yeah, 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 never mind. yeah. so I just, it just had to learn, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, this is a navigation kind of thing. So yeah, 
I understand that, man. I understand that. So what made you choose Alabama as a as a university to go to? Man, you know, this is a this is a uh that's a question that like not a lot of people really ask me too much, man. You know, because they just think like, yo, you go to Alabama, it's the bigger school, blah, 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 this prestigious thing. But man, you know, mm. it was a tough decision for me, Trev. Like and I didn't have a lot of guidance along the way, right? Like my mom didn't really know too much about what school was school. She would just say, Oh, just just trust your gut, baby. I'm like, Yeah, but sometimes I need like <laughs> I need I need some good more than just trust your gut, mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like <laughs> and so um it was it came down to me like my top five schools, man, was Iowa. I really liked them. Um they were had an up and coming program and at the time, you know, they were on the rise. And now they're one of the best track and field programs uh, in the country. Uh, then it was Mississippi State. Wasn't really feeling them. Then it was Ole Miss. Wasn't really mm-hmm. feeling them. Uh, Florida State, Florida, Texas A&M. And well, so Alabama. Florida State came back in the fold after you went to JC. Florida State, man, that there was. So there was a couple, like all of the schools left me once they found out that the whole situation, right? They never left. And they were Coach Ken Harden that, you know, my guy to this day, uh, he was the person who said, you know what, man, maybe you should look at uh, these junior colleges. And it was between South Plains and it was between Barton Community College. These are both two really, really, really good schools. So he was always in the mix. Right. So when I was making my decision, man, it was between Florida State and Alabama. Mm -hmm. Travis, to be completely honest, man, I remember one day, man. I was so like, I, you never know what is going to be the best decision for you. And that's the hardest part about picking a school. Now, if you have people in your lives that can give you advice and make the decision a little bit easier, then that's great. But I didn't have that. There are both great choices, but it's still tough because you want to make the right one. One day, man, it was like five o'clock, bro. I had just gotten out of my uh, last class of the day. And, you know, I had to make a decision coming up. Right. So I remember I, was, I went to the track and I just kind of sat down and I was like, God, like. What should I do? Like, what is the best school? Like, like, what is the best option? And what it came down to. And for those that are listening and, and, and trying to make a decision, like you want to have a checklist of things. Right. right. And especially in track and field, you know, you want to look at the times under that coach. Right. But you don't just want to look at one athlete. You want to look at everything. You want to see, okay, why is it just one person running fast? If they're all training the same, there should be a couple people running faster, but they should all kind of be in that similar wavelength. There shouldn't just be one guy running 10 0 and the rest of the guys running 10 3. There is not, there's some inconsistencies there. So that's something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for me, Florida State at that time, man, they were stacked. Man, they had like, they had like, like seven guys that my year that were going to go pro and went on to go pros, right? So they were already stacked. And I felt like if I would have went there, man, yes, I would have ran fast, but I felt like I would have been another number. As much as I have respect and love for the coach to this day, I send him uh, recruits who are Canadian. I send him people because I got that love for him. Mm-hmm. Right. But Alabama, my coach, at the coach at Alabama, my coach at Barden, he learned from him. Right. So I figured, look, 
if I ran this fast and this well at Barton Community College and he learned from the coach at Alabama, if I go there, I should be able to continue where I left off. And then the other part was, man, in the midst of my prayer and going through the worship, man, and, and going through the book, um, there, there, something hit me where it said, if you go to Florida State, you'll be another number. But if you go to Alabama, you'll change the culture, right? Mm. Because they were ranked number 64th, Alabama was. A couple of guys I competed with who went to junior college, they went to Alabama as well too. Another guy that I competed against, he's from California. He was the number two recruit. And he said, yo, Keem, wherever you go, I'm coming. I said, man, don't be basing your stuff off me. Don't put that pressure <laughs> on me. Right? Don't but, put that pressure on me. Don't yeah. put that pressure on me, man. <laughs> but I was like, you know, that really spoke to me. It's like, man, if you go to Alabama, you'll change the culture. And so I went to Alabama and my boy came as well, too. And within that first year, man, we went from being ranked 64 to being ranked number eight. All right. So it was right what I believe God said to me, even though my individual performances didn't really get better. We still impacted Alabama, still broke records at Alabama, and they're still top 15 in the country every single year since I left. Well, that's the big thing, man. Like, if you're good, they will find you. I know that uh, my pops told me that multiple times. I left UCLA. Yeah. I ended up going to, like, Long Beach State, you know. Um, and I'm just like, Dad, you know, I don't know. Maybe I should have stayed, whatever. He was like, son, if you're good, they'll find you. That's great advice, Period. man, honestly. You know yeah, if they're good, they'll find you. And you go for you. Don't go for the school. Because a lot of dudes go for the school and the name, quote, unquote, and like, oh, I went to Duke or North Carolina, UCLA, like in your case, Florida State. You know, I went there and just ran okay for four years and now I'm done. Yeah. Where maybe if I went to Alabama like you did and I become the best player on, you know, and bring a culture, like you said, um, it could be I, it can lead to something different. Long Beach State kind of saved me because I graduated and they got me to being a professional basketball player yeah. at the same time. So Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's decisions, right? You just hope you're making the best decision because you really don't fully know. Even you when don't you, know. Think you know, you don't still know. <laughs> I'm yeah, saying, like, yeah. No one's ever hundred percent certain. I'll, never always push them to shove, do what's best for you, you know, yeah. and like you said. So my question would be, what was your greatest triumph and your greatest failure in college? That's a great question, man. Uh greatest triumph, man. Um when 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 we surprised everybody in the four by one and we were ranked going in, supposed to finish like maybe seventh or eighth, and we finished second. We should have won, but our guy got tight. You know, when that pressure is on you, Travis. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, his, I got you. I got and you. His back, and his back got a little tight and he dipped too early. So uh, that was probably one of the biggest trials, man, because that was when people started to say, what the hell is going on over at Alabama? What the <laughs> what are them boys doing over there? Cause <laughs> they weren't really necessarily uh, a good sprint school, but man, we were starting to put some eyes on us. Right. And so mm -hmm. uh, now on the other side of it, man, um, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of injuries. Right. And I've, I've, I was always a person that always took care of my body. I never played with that. I never played with my nutrition. I never played with that either because I realized that like, 
I wasn't as physically talented as some of these other athletes were, but I'm mm -hmm. like, man, I know for a fact they're not going to be able to be disciplined seven days a week. I could, right? I know these cats is not going to be eating the vegetables and doing all these different things. I could, right? And so I was like, man, I can do all the small things to even the playing ground. And I was still battling injuries. And a bit of it was on the coaching side, man. We didn't really get, we weren't, we butt heads a lot. Right. Mm. We, we didn't really mesh like that. Uh, but that's what I would say, man, is because I felt like even though I did everything that I could, I felt like I still left a little bit. My college career didn't pan out how I expected it to because I didn't get an offer after I graduated. Oh, well, OK. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Well, what would be the biggest lesson that you learned in college? Oh, man. Um Man, I would say that's a great question, bro. Biggest thing I learned in college, man. No one's ever asked me that before, man. I would say, <laughs> I would say, hard hitting questions here in the athlete's journey, people. <laughs> I would say the biggest lesson for me was my foundation. Okay. Because you, you have cats, right? Who I really think a young adolescent makes the first big decision that, uh, a young man or a young woman makes when they're 18 is what am I going to do after high school? Right. And whether you go to school and continue education, whether you play a sport or you make a decision where, okay, I'm going to step back and just work for a year before I decide what's next. It's a big decision, but you still get to see that like, man, some of the cats that you went to school with are not going to be around as much. Some of the people you used to rock with are not going to be around as, as much and the world has a way of in, of imposing its will and influences on you and you can get caught up in the comparison game and so i was most proud of my foundation because man i never wavered from who i was mm -hmm. you know i never did things that didn't represent me i didn't do things i didn't believe in i didn't do things i didn't stand for i was proud of the fact that my foundation grew but it was stable enough here and if it's stable enough in college that like, man, it's going to be, I'm going to have this foundation moving forward post collegiately, because I think college, man, you go there to find yourself. Yes, but you can also lose yourself as well, too. That's very true. That's very true. So obviously you finish uh, Alabama, you graduate, right? Uh, what was next? What happened after? Like, you know, were you just, you knew that you was going to go pro in track or yeah. how did that, how was, you know, that journey after you graduated? Man, so, so uh, uh, I graduate and my old coach, he used to train me back in Canada. He had took, a, he had took over a job to be one of the sprint coaches in England. And then uh, he started this group in Phoenix called Altus. Now it's called, well, it's called World Athletics Center. Now it's called Altus. Mm -hmm. But he calls me and he says, man, I, I, I hear that you're about to hang up the spikes, right? Because I never loved track and field to the point where I wanted to continue post-collegiately. Okay. Everything that I've done in track and field was a bit of a bonus, man, because I just wanted my school paid for, right? So he calls me, he said, Akeem, man, you know, I'm starting, I have this group out in Phoenix, mm -hmm. right? And we're very new and I would love for you to come out, just come and check it out, man. You know, I, I, I. I worked you before. I know you have a lot there still left in you. And I said, man, let me think about it. I said, when do you need a, 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 a date? Like, what time do you need me to give you an answer? 
And he was like, October 4th. Trev, I gave that man an answer October 3rd. <laughs> because. Oh, because, okay. So you was, you, I'm going to take this all the way down to the wire. Okay. Because I was trying to figure out, I'm a man that, that I like to have calculated every single scenario before I make a decision. So I didn't have a contract. I didn't have money. Right. How am I going to go to this place and fund myself? How am I going to live in America? And I'm Canadian and I don't have a work permit to even work. Right. So um, the what I did was uh, I had written my first book and I took all of the sales sales profit from that book. And I said, OK, well, this will be able to buy my plane ticket down there and it'll be able to pay my first month's rent. But I still need like more money for the rest of the year. Right, right, right. So, you know, uh, I've never asked my mom for anything in my life. Maybe like I can count on hand how many times I've asked. But this time I was like, mom, like, you know, if you could help me with rent, you know, I'd, I'd really, really appreciate it. But I knew things would be tight past a couple months. Right. So that's why it took me a while to make that decision, man, because I wanted to make sure that like if I did this, that I could actually make it work. And so when I went down there, I had never been to Phoenix before. Um, I knew a couple people in the training group. I had a roommate, but I didn't really know him. Somebody introduced me to him, another Canadian girl, and we ended up being roommates. And I didn't have a pillow. Um, I didn't have a bed. I, all I had, all I took was my suitcase. Um, I had some sheets. And for the first couple months, man, I was training, but I was sleeping in my room, like on the ground. Right. And nobody knew that for wow. the first like five months. I never told anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Nobody needed to know. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't it wasn't about them. It wasn't it, it, it was just about like, man, you know, this is my situation for what it is. Let me make the best out of it as best as I can. And so that was kind of that first step into the professional world. Um, but I didn't start making money until like the next year. Oh, wow. So you struggled for a whole year doing that? Oh, except for the first five months? That's insane, man. Man, so so every day, man, I would, I, would, I would go to practice and I would say, yo, this has to work. This has to work. <laughs> and so I was training like stupid hard. But mm -hmm. I did well, like, you know, and I was more healthier. And I had a great, I had a great season that year. You know, I ran... Um, the I ran 60 meters because uh, you have the indoor season first before you have the outdoor season. Okay. And I ran 6:51 indoors, uh, which is like the third fastest Canadian time ever. And that year I finished number three in the world. But I was getting invited to these other meets around the circuit, right? And okay. I was battling injury after the first after the first meet because when your body runs to a certain threshold, man. It, it, it something isn't right, right? Like you need a little bit of time to be able to recover because running is not a normal motion, right? So when you're running at a certain velocity and speed, the torque that you put forth every single time, it's not normal. And if you're not on, you know, drugs, you should not be able to consistently run these fast times over and over again. So after that time, my body was beat up, man. But I got invited to these other meets. But I went to those meets because I'm just like, man, I'm sleeping on the floor. 
right? My boy let me use his air mattress, so I was sleeping on the air mattress, but it had a hole in it, so I was going to sleep on the air mattress. And I've done that, yeah. Air. You wake up and you're on the floor. Yeah, that's happened to me yeah. once. <laughs> and your nose is stuffed up, and you're just like, wait a minute, I was just good like 16 hours ago. <laughs> so I was like, man, I need money now. So I was going to these meets, not 100%, but an opportunity to make some income. So that's what I did, man. And, and and I was able to make some money. It wasn't crazy money, but any money coming in when you have nothing coming in is good money. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? $10 is better than zero. That's my dad exactly. always tell me. You know what I'm saying? So I get that. So obviously you're running your meets, right? And so I, I guess uh, explain to the audience, how do you get like into this Olympic thing? You know, like obviously, you know, you were winning meets, so you're coming in first, second, third, whatever. How do you get into that Olympic kind of fold? Yeah, man. So uh, Olympics comes every four years, right? But there, I think one of the biggest misconceptions with that is like th there is more meets other than the Olympics, right? Mm, like the year okay. before is generally like a world championship. Okay. Or the year before is usually like a commonwealth. Commonwealth, America isn't a commonwealth country. Uh, but Canada is, UK is, Australia is. And so there are other championship meets. It's just not as highly televised. There's nothing as highly televised as the Olympic Games. Okay. Um, so how to make the Olympic team. So every, so there's like a standard, right? And it changes every year. So you might have a standard for the 100 meters might be 10.16 seconds, right? Um, then you might have for the 200, maybe it's 20.4 seconds. So in order to qualify, uh, you need to hit those times, right? You need to hit 1016 or lower. Then once you hit those times and you did it a couple times throughout the season, when you go to your country trials, you need to finish top three. And if you finish top three and you have the standard, then you are going to be on that Olympic team. Now there's politics involved, obviously, but you know, if you do what you're supposed to do, run your times, qualify top three at your respective uh, championship trials, then you'll make that team. So there's different levels and tiers to it. You can't just wake up and just go and run and make the team. You got to hit the standard to be able to make that team. So that's how it works. Okay. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Obviously, you know, you're teaching me a lot. Cause I was like, I had no idea how to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. what, what year was your first year in Olympics? So 2012, man. So I was actually in junior college uh, when it happened. Um, so 2012, I was 20. Yeah, 20 years old. Um, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't run the 100 meters there. I didn't I didn't have the qualifying time. So I ran the relays, but I didn't actually get to run. So I was an alternate. Ah, so, okay. Yeah, so I wasn't able to run, but I was there. So my second Olympic team, I ran the 100 and I ran the 4x1 uh, 2016 in Rio. So the first time was an experience, man. But, you know, it was the first time that you get to see how other elite athletes function from a mentality standpoint. Or you get to see how much, you know, man, I, man, you know, Michael, I saw Michael Phelps in the cafeteria. That dude, that dude be eating crazy, right? <laughs> it's, it's, not the, it's not the best, but, you know, it works for him, right? And obviously... You know, Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. I mean, he's eating nuggets, right? And all these different things. <laughs> he's eating chicken nuggets? Oh, yeah, man. Man, oh, bro. So, hey, he, he is in that list of, like, freakishly gifted people who can get away with stuff like that. But, you know, I, I don't know what they tell you in basketball, Trav, when you go to, like, foreign countries. But in track and field, they say, yo, if you go to 
a place like China or, you know, Uzbekistan, it's like, yo, eat what you know. All right. So that's what they say. So, you know, when Bolt won gold in Beijing when he was in China, man, he was running, he was lacing up cats off nuggets. because that's that's what he knew that was familiar to him so first olympics answer the question man was 2012 uh second one uh was 2016 in in rio okay so now how did you feel when you got to walk around you know like with all the other athletes and all the other sports you know when when, when people you know you get the wave to the people how was that experience like man the opening games opening i've been to two games i've never been to an opening ceremonies because we would always our coaches would be like hey you guys got to be focused so we would always go to like some type of holding camp that was away from where the actual event was so i've been to closing ceremonies but i've never been to an opening one man so usually i'm at the hotel watching that stuff oh okay 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 i was like man when i see it i'll be like amazed you know what i'm saying so i'll be like man how was that i wonder how that is you know but that's cool um okay so based off your experience of like doing the track and the olympics and things like that um what be your best advice for the next generation of Akin, you know, the next generation of yourself? Man, I think, you know, if if you're trying to get into the track and field space, and specifically we're talking about the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to be crazy, Trav, you know, when you hear it, man. Uh, you know, if you had to say, like, an Olympic gold medalist in track and field, like, how much do, how much would you say that that they would make from that meet, from that race? Oh, being a, being an Olympic person, yeah, I would yeah. figure like you know they would get a lot of money just because they're Olympians. So like if they run a race, or the next race, Olympic champion, you know, Hakeem is running. So you got you get extra than say you get ten thousand. Everybody else gets five or something. Yeah, yeah, it, essentially correct, man. Like at the Olympics, right? So you get a gold medal, man, and it probably has changed since since twenty sixteen. Pro- probably not, <laughs> but right, right. Uh, Gold medal, you get thirty thousand dollars. All right, silver medal, uh, you get, silver medal, you get about twenty five thousand dollars. Bronze, you're getting between fifteen and twenty. My relay group, we got bronze in two thousand sixteen, and I got ten thousand dollars from that. So you don't actually make money from the Olympics; you make money post Olympics, okay? Right? Because then okay. the next year you come in as Olympic champion, and everybody wants you there, and this and that. But, you know, it's not like that for everybody. And so there are a lot of people that you may see on TV and you're just like, man, they must be financially good. Like, it must be good. No, there's a lot of cats on TV who aren't making a single dime going into that race. They just got a lane. So if you're someone who is coming up in the track and field space, man, make sure that you actually love the sport. Right. And not just really care about it, really passionate about it. No, make sure you actually love it because only if you love it deeply will you be willing to take that risk to continue pushing through some of the stuff that you got to go with go through because it's a tough journey man and passion and enjoyment is not going to be enough to help you get over the ups and downs that you go with right it is going to test you every single way uh but if you love the sport man and you have an opportunity to walk away with that title Right. That's what the Olympic thing is. It's 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 for the title. It's for the prestige. Mm, but mm, I also make mm. this joke as well, too, Trev. If I take my Olympic bronze medal and I, you take 
uh, Usain Bolt's Olympic gold medal. Let me go to the pawn shop. We're both coming out with the same amount of money. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably so, my bro. <laughs> right? So you really have to love this thing, man, and just get into the aspect of the process of it all, as they always talk about, right? But you have to really love it because all of the process is not fun. Right. But if you have a strong enough reason behind why you do what you do, man, that'll give you that strength and that encouragement and that power to continue pushing forward to reaching that goal and that pinnacle mark. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you obviously you've been running for a while now. You know, you ran in two Olympics. Yeah. Right. You've been making money uh, during this time, doing, you know, different meets and things like that. Yeah. Now. My personal question for you is that do you get paid for how how does the payment go for a track person? Do you get paid for appearances or do you get paid to win? It's a great, great question. <laughs> and and I think one that not a lot of people really get into. Right. Man, so you know, any other job profession, right? You go and you work at, for example, like a donut shop. You know every two weeks, man, on that second Friday, man, you're about to get your uh, your harvest for the investment that you made by showing mm -hmm. every day and doing your job, right? Mm -hmm. And it's consistent. Track is not like that, right? You may run a meet in February and may not get that money until like June. Like uh -huh. it's going to take a couple months. Uh -huh. So it track doesn't care about you needing to pay your rent the next month, right? Hopefully, you know, you can get your money, but it's going to be a little bit more patient, right? So you get paid. Um, I'll give two scenarios. Let's give the scenario of Usain Bolt, right? Mm -hmm, you're, mm -hmm. you're Usain Bolt. You're number one. You're top of the pinnacle. He's going to get appearance fees. Mm. So Usain, I want you to go come run in Zurich, right? Come run in Norway, Switzerland. I want you to come over there. We got a lane for you. And we also got, you know, $60,000, $70,000 just for you to show up, right? So that's you. Then um, if he's got sponsors, which he does, he's got Puma, right? And say Puma has glasses and shades and all this stuff. Uh, you can get a shoe deal. And in your shoe deal, which is how a lot of these athletes make money, is from the shoe contract and from yeah. other sponsorship. Then you get a portion from that. So say Puma gives Bolt, you know, uh, let's say Puma gives Bolt top of the top. Say just for a nice safe round number, we'll say $3 million. Right. Three million over four years, we'll say. Right. And so you have that is your foundational package. Right. You got the three million from your sponsor, your big sponsor, your shoe sponsor. They'll taking care of your shoes, your clothing. You don't got to worry about that. You come make their appearance, whatever they need. But that's your that's your safety net. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. then you mm -hmm. have the appearance fee. Come to the meet. We got six thousand for you. 60,000 for you. Could be more, could be less. Now, the actual race, if you win, okay, you get the prize money there. And depending on where it is, you know, it 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 it, it could range from 30,000, 60,000, or it could mm -hmm. range from 3,000, but you're Usain Bolt, you're top of the top, so you're getting a lot of money. Now, if you are not at the top of the top, right? Then mm -hmm. you are in that middle. So there's the A circuit and there's the B circuit. A circuit's beautiful. It's glamorous. They travel. They 
uh, the meet directors, they pay for you to come out. They pay for your tickets. They put you in a nice hotel. But everybody isn't in that A circuit. You're in the B circuit, right? So you're going to, you're going to still be making a lot of money, but you're not making the $10,000. You're making the three. You're making the two. And and um, you your agent is fronting you the money and then hopefully you get that back, right? Mm. Because if he's fronting you the money, because remember, you're still trying to develop and grow yourself and your agent, he's got a little bit of money put aside for you because his job is to put you in meets. Right. So he fronts you that money, right? And he was like, man, don't worry about hotel. Don't worry about travel. You're getting fronted the money or so you think. You think you're starting at zero until you get your meets and you win some races and you stack your bread up a little bit and you're doing your math and you're like, man, I just won 10 grand this month. Yeah, but your agent just fronted you five. So you're oh, going to okay. You're going to get 5, right? But the travel is different as well too. You know, B circuit, man, you know, you got to get up the next day at like 6 a.m. to catch the train, right? And then, <laughs> so you yeah. catch the train on the B circuit, okay? Oh man, yeah. Oh yeah, you're not you're not taking flights. <laughs> you're not taking flights, but at the same time there are some really good B circuit money and B circuit meets. It's just a different grind, right? So it just varies, man. Obviously, if you're oh. top of the top, you'll have a little bit more benefits and a little bit more help. But on the grind, track is a grind, man, especially when you're on your way up. I imagine, like I said, I imagine you probably have to win, you know, 15 races or be in the top five to get any money. And the thing is, too, Trev, is you can't go into race counting your money, right? Yeah. Like because you gotta then, win you get, first, right? Yeah, you're getting distracted, right? You gotta go in and trust your training and put your race pattern together because you're still trying to peak for a certain time. But if you're going in counting your money, man, it's gonna get stressful because you're gonna be thinking about that. You're like, oh man, this race, if I would have won, I would have got ten thousand dollars, man. I got uh, fourth. So now I'm getting three, and now you hate being over there. Right. Mm. Because you're counting it and it makes the days go by longer. Right. So you can't go over there necessarily thinking about the money. Just uh, focus on your game plan. Focus on your plan to run fast. And usually it will happen. But it's yeah, bro, it's it's it's, it's grueling. <laughs> it's grueling. I respect that, man. I respect the grind. I respect the hustle. You know what I'm saying? Like, when did you know when it was time to hang it up? Man, that's such a great question, bro, because there are still, personally, there are people who I see in track and field still right now, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you need to get out of there because it's not it's not it, it, Trav. And for me, um, I didn't want, I was never going to go running track into my 30s. That was just something that I didn't want to do. Okay, okay. I didn't love the, I didn't love it like that, right? Like, I just didn't have that same feel for it. I wanted to do more things, other things in life. And I was in practice one day, Travis, this was like 20, 2017, yeah, 2017. Mm-hmm. And I'm physically at practice, physically there, I'm physically warming up, physically doing my thing. But mentally, I was other places. Mentally, I was like, man, you know, uh, trying to get some speaking engagements because, you know, I was still speaking on the side. And I was like, man, you know, I could do that, I could do this. And my mind was there, but my body wasn't. Right. And whatever your heart and mind isn't in, eventually your mind and body is going to take you out of it. 
Mm. And so I started to get the notion of, I felt like I was just going through the motions and I was just like, man, this is not fair to my, to me, it's not fair to my coaches and I'm just not going to do it. And so for me, I noticed there was a discrepancy between me physically being there and my heart and mind being somewhere else. So that's when I knew that, you know what, maybe it's time for me to leave this for what it is. Okay. Okay. You know, I, I, I imagine like when you, like you say, when you're warming up and you're thinking about something else, you know, entirely, like I need to get a speaking engagement and do this and you do that while you're in the midst of like working out and probably, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. time to let it go. It's time to, when it doesn't, when I feel like when the sport is not your first love anymore, like that's all you think about is that. Yeah. It's time, you know, it's time to, you know, retire the shoes, if you would say, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, and just, and, you know, there's a lot of people like that, man. You know, one of the fastest girls in the 800 meter, man, she was like, uh, somebody asked her, was like, you know, when, when is track going to be over for you? And she's, oh, she's stupid young trap. She's like 20, 21. Okay. Already Olympic champ, already world champ. And she was like, look, if a modeling agency came and said, we want to sign you today, she was like, bye, track. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> because that's that's her first love, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people in track and field, man, that, you know, they do it because it's a means to an end. Like, they're good at it, right? And I'm sure you've been around people like that, too. Of course. That's every sport. That's every sport, yeah. Yeah, they're good at it, but I wouldn't say that it's what they love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but it 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 pays the bills. It gets them right, and so you kind of just push through it. No, I understand that. I mean, that, look, being a sports guy, like you know, obviously same thing, just different sport. It's a ton of guys who don't love it, and like in my situation, is your your overseas guys. You, it's a whole other level because it's yeah. like you're away from your fa- friends and family, unless you bring a girl or your kid over. But not a lot of gr- dudes do that. You know what I'm saying? So like you really have to love it because you're away from your friends, your family, everything you know for, you know, let's say five months, even if you go home for Christmas for a week or two, like you're basically, you're five, you know, August, September, October, November, December, home for a week, back, January, (laughs) February, you know, March, April, May, and if you go far, June, you know what I'm saying? So you're there for a stretch. And so like, some people like by the end of the season, that's why like the best teams, the Americans be like, all right, if we lose game one, <laughs> let me start packing up my shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, dudes start packing up at the end of the season. They start packing their bags and like, oh, I don't need this no more. I'm gonna just just rock sweats in the shirt. Yeah. They they already mindset is already getting it. You know, you I are, remember you're already to the crib. <laughs> no, um, I had a friend of mine whose name is Travis Young, I remember, he, he told me this joke. We we had lost game one in the playoffs, right? Uh, and it was like, and your first round is best of three. And like, we was the number one seed at the time, or yeah. number two seed. It was number two seed. We lost at home. And he was like, hey, Travis. And he, I looked, that was up. Because I'm like, maybe I'm a little mad. Say, Travis. <laughs> Welcome to British Airways. Can I help you? <laughs> I was like, dude, shut up, dude. I'm trying to win this next game, bro. Because <laughs> I'm telling crazy. you, like, dudes, like, you know, you already know. So, like, that's how it really is when you're hooping and it's been a long. So, you're just ready to go. You ain't really tripping. That's how that circuit is life. Is like, yeah, I imagine. I imagine your shit, is, you know, your stuff was same. Like, you just be like, dude, 
when is the season over? When is this circuit thing? Man, done? I was on man, I was on the circuit, bro, and I was running very well. Like mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. running well, but it was long. It was every week we're going, you know, to England, to Sweden, to Belgium. I'm just like, bro, like, man, like I was like, man, I can't wait to just go back to the crib. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and track and field is one of the sports where like you're running for 10 months out of the 12. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, wow. Okay. Like, there's okay. no, there's no, and, and your break is maybe like six weeks, four mm-hmm. weeks, if that. So I, I, that, no, man, you're speaking truth, bro, because that's the other part that people don't talk about too, is man, it, it does get tiring because you miss a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It just, you, it, I feel like it's, I call, the hamster wheelism, like you just constantly on that running down that wheel and you just feel like it, it ain't going to never stop. You're, yeah. just in a, you're just in a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously, you, you, you make the transition right out of uh track. So was it a tough transition after you, uh, re- you know, stopped running? Was it an easy transition? How was your yeah. transition after? Man, before I even say that, Trev, and 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 you shared a story with me off air, man. Um, but when I first came to Canada, bro, I heard this. I don't remember if it was a documentary or if it was like a video that I saw. Uh, I think it was a documentary, but it was about this guy. And he was a professional football player. He played like, you know, eight years. And when he came out, you know, he was like, I tried to commit suicide three times, right? Because his identity was in the sport, right? Mm-hmm, and when mm-hmm. you take that away from you, you know, man, like it's, it, it's when that's you and you take that away just like that, it, that hits you. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes people hear that from the outside looking in and think, man, athletes are soft. It's like, yo, n- that's far from the case, <laughs> right? And yeah, you have I, no I watched, idea. Yeah. yeah no idea. I watched that as a nine-year-old kid and I said, man, I don't want that to be my story. Mm. So I always searched for other things to do and other things that I may be good at or may enjoy. And so I started speaking when I was like 19, 20 years old. Um, not that I believe that, that, that it could come from anything, but I believe, you know, I believe we're here to make the world a better place in the capacity that is authentic to ourselves Right. And for me, when I'm praying and I'm asking God, like, what is the purpose here? You know, there is purpose inside all of us. And I've always found the best way to help move the world forward and to connect it and to unite it, to bring hope, to inspire is through storytelling. Right. Because we can Mm. get something from stories. And so that's why I'm like, man, you know, God. I really think you're calling me to speak and to share my story and to bring glory to you. Otherwise, man, I'd speak. I wouldn't even speak. I'm telling you right now. So you, speaking is, is, a, is not the easiest path, right? So even though, Trav, from 20 years old, right, I was preparing for life after sport. Mm-hmm. When that time came, it was, diff- it was tough mm-hmm. because it's like, man, you know, people people started seeing me in a different light, even though I was the same cat. I was still speaking the same. I was still doing the same things, mm-hmm. still preaching the same message. I still was me, but people didn't treat me as me. They just thought, you know what, it's just Akeem, this and that. So it took me a while to get into the speaking space and to understand how it works. Because again, I didn't know anybody that spoke and wanted to speak at the level that I wanted to in the way how I do. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things people like one of the things someone talked to me about 
he was like, man, when you're going out and speaking, man, you know, you should, you shouldn't really, you know, talk about that faith stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about that faith stuff? Like, what are you talking about? He was like, man, you know, not, not every crowd is ready to receive that. And I said, well, that's probably not the crowd for me because that's a part of my life. Right. right and right, and right. that's how I talk. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, man, I was doing everything to give myself to speaking, man. I was, there was a point where I was like, man, I know I, I needed to become a better communicator. So I needed to read more books to understand certain paragraphs and, 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 language. I needed to increase my vocabulary and make it extensive because I didn't want somebody, I didn't want to go into a room and felt like I didn't belong in that room. Right. So I would read the dictionary. I'd learn a new word every single week and I would practice that word. But then when I got into the speaking space, I realized, wait a minute, these cats don't know what the word intersoculate means. Like they don't know what these stuff means. <laughs> right. And so it took me a little bit because I had to learn how the business side of it, you can have a message, but if it's something that you want to actually make a living from, you got to learn the business aspect of it. Right. And I prayed and prayed and prayed because I had to figure this stuff out on my own. Right. So I had to learn, okay, you know, how much do you charge when you're speaking? Right. What credentials do you have? What's your message going to be? Right. What topics are you going to be able to hit? How do people mm-hmm. find you? Do you need a website? Right. Mm -hmm. How do you create a website? How much does a website cost? Do you even know how to make a website? Okay, (laughs) If you're not going to do this right when you look at social media, that's your digital resume. No one's going to just bring you in to speak if they don't know what you're going to talk about or have seen anything about it. So I was just like, man, I started to treat my social media like a resume of me speaking and giving what I am going to be talking about, man. So those are all things that I had to learn, Trav, but it was a tough, it was a tough adjustment, man. And there were a couple of times where I was like, yeah, man, maybe this isn't the path, you know, maybe I should just do something else. And there's some seasons where I was extremely discouraged, man, not going to lie to you, man. Cause I just, I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, so it mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. it was tough and challenging, even though I was ready for life after sport. That's a hell of a story, man. That's a hell of a story. Now, I want to say thank you, Akeem, man, for coming on the show, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, it means a lot to me. You know, your story is is crazy one, man. I appreciate it. I do. We have one last question for you, what we always ask at the end of every show. And then... You know, we'll wrap up and like I said, we'll you can, you know, let everybody know what you're doing, you know, so they can hear these 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 speeches and side note, I know this is off topic, but you need to teach me how to do the website thing. I need to I want to build my thing like you, bro. <laughs> Let's make it happen, man. Let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the last question for you is that at, at one point in our career or our life, we always go through low points, right? Mm. You know. Uh, so obviously we, you, you kind of did similar things to me. So, you know, you lived that overseas life where you traveling the country, to country, to country to do meets. So everybody goes through the low points, but for yourself, how did you get yourself out of the low points? Was it God? Was it family? Was it both? Was it yourself? Was it meditation? How did yeah. you get it? And how did it help you? Man, that's a, such a great question, bro. And, and, and this is the part that I love, right? Is because mm-hmm. We all go through these moments, man. And I don't care how strong a person is. That person gets tired of being strong every single time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, I had I had a couple breaking moments in my life, Trav, that kind of 
uh, shifted me, man. And 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 that first one was when um, I was 13 years old, right? Like my mom and I were homeless for a little period of time, right? And I remember when we were homeless, we we're staying at this bus stop. And as a 13 year old kid, right, you're thinking to yourself that like, when I came to Canada, man, it was the first time that I'd ever seen like superhero movies, right? Like Batman, Robin, you know, Flash, Green Lantern, you know, all these different cats. And I remember there was this Superman movie and, you know, Lois, Lois is always getting thrown off stuff. She's, she just wrong time. <laughs> always getting thrown off stuff and putting Superman in a bad predicament. But Lois, like, man, like he, she was pushed off this ledge. And I'm thinking to myself as an eight-year-old kid at the time, you're thinking, oh man, they're going to show this on TV. Like she, <laughs> you know, she's about to get splattered. But right in the nick of time, like Superman came Mm-hmm. and saved her and i'm like man it's you know it, is this how canada is right so <laughs> i'm thinking to myself like man like at some point like superman is coming and then three hours went by and four and five and then the sky started to be from sky blue to dark gray and everybody was just going on about their lives you know and like I'll, and that's when i and that's when i said to myself man if anything is going to happen in your life, Akeem, like you're going to have to be the one to initiate it, right? And then I learned gratitude in that moment because I was grateful that I wasn't homeless by myself. I had my mom. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have survived by myself, right? So that was a moment, Trav, and I shared that story because in my toughest times and, you know, these past couple seasons have been challenging times for me, right? But in the toughest times, man, my faith has always helped me, right? And faith has nothing to do with a religion aspect of it. I'm a Christian, yes, on paper, but it has everything to do with your relationship with Christ, right? If you believe that he has a plan and a purpose for your life and he's using all things, then he's got to be using the stuff that you're going through, right? And if he's using the stuff that you're going through, Right. And one of my favorite scriptures is Galatians 6, verse 9, where it says, Do not be weary for doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Mm. My whole life, man, is much bigger than me, Trav. And I know, and even you know how you move and how you operate. Someone is looking to you for your strength. Someone is looking to you to see how you're handling what you're going through. And you may not even know them, but you might know them, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, man, no matter how much I bend, no matter how much I want to break, I will not fold. And so for me, that is it. And I also know that every season has an expiration date. And so it's going to be good in one season, but it ain't going to be good forever. It's going to be tough in some seasons, but it ain't going to be tough in some seasons forever. But you won't know what's on the other side, man, if you don't if you don't keep going up, man. And 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 I always say this too, Trav, to answer your question. It's like you look at a phone, right? And and whether a phone has a hundred percent or it has one percent, it still works the same. As long mm-hmm. as it has a little bit of juice in there, yep. you can still make your calls, you can still hit the text messages. As long as you have juice, it's still going to work. As long as you have breath in your body, you can still get up out bed, man, and still do one thing that'll help you get closer to where you want to get to or help you get out of the situation, man. So that's all it is, man. I don't want to get to a stage where, 
you know, God says, man, did you give your all? And I want to say, yes, I did. Mm. And I feel like they're going to be people when that time comes and they're not going to be able to say that. Well, you're right. You're and right. I want to say that. Well, I got you. Well, on that note, that's it. There ain't no more <laughs> questions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we going, you know what I'm saying? On that note, that's just wonderful, bro. Let the people know what, what you're doing, where they can find you, where they can find your website, everything. Yeah, yeah, man. So all all, all, all platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, it's at underdog, A-K-H, man. Uh, website, www at akeeminspires.com. It's getting rebuilt, so it's down right now. But, man, I'm across all social media platforms, uh, and that's where you can find me, man. Okay, okay. And once again, you can follow me uh, at Travis W. Reed. That's R-E-E-D, Travis W., on Instagram and on Facebook. I post all my social media on both those sites. I got my link tree on my, uh, on my, uh, Instagram. So you can, you know, like if you want to see this episode, I have it up, you know, you can listen to it straight up, uh, on, on link tree. Um, I'm trying to get my website done cause I need to put all these YouTube, these YouTube videos up like the one we're doing right now. Uh, that's why I was like, I need you. Yeah. <laughs> I need you. Gosh, you may I help yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, and uh, pretty much if you're still looking, people have been asking, people are looking for their athletes, their journey merch, their Travis Reed athletes journey, please DM me or message me. Uh, and like I said, I'll send it to you personally, My, you know, myself, you know. So still got shirts, still got those. People have been asking, you know, yeah, I, I, I get them from small, medium, large, extra large, double X. So um, also, uh, if you are interested in joining a book club, you perform former athletes or anybody interested to join a book club, I do have one on my LinkedIn page, Travis Reed Book Club. So, you know, it's about, I don't know, about 20, 25 people. So we, we you know, just review books, those those kind of things. So just, you know, just loving whoever likes to read books. For me, I'm a big, big book guy now. Love audio books, love reading books, just to kind of like, you know, about dynasties and just, you know, different stuff you know different stuff you know so just you know expanding my knowledge so i want to say thank y'all for coming out for listening and i will see y'all next week peace thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.